Welcome back, Seahawk fans. It is the Field Goals Podcast Preview Edition. I am Dan Viennes, and we are looking ahead to week four. The one and two Seahawks taking on the one and two Detroit Lions in Detroit. And for a closer look at uh, what's going on from the Detroit Lions side of things, Chris Perfett of the Pride of Pride of the Lions, Pride of Detroit podcast. Pride of Detroit. Pride of Detroit podcast, our SB Nation counterpart over there. Welcome in, Chris. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm uh, getting up on this hazy little morning in my small portion of the valley thinking about football as one does and uh just what's 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 the right mood to have today just uh i don't want to be zenning that's too stereotypical california and i am not a california at heart i am a transplant i am a wandering vagabond that does not belong on this coast but like most half michiganders and ohioans out there we are kind of forced to travel travel to retain our uh, resources so yeah and I'm, I'm 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 surviving let's just go with all that. right at least you got some sunshine we have officially turned the page here up in the pacific northwest to fall um but i uh, envy you i envy you it was 100 degrees yesterday i had to blast the ac hey i got to i can hear it in the background i got to pack mine up and and uh put it away in the closet for the winter of course as soon as i do that the first day i do that it's like 85 degrees and stuffy and you know that's just how it goes here but um but let's talk heat as far as it goes uh, with our football teams, uh, both one and two, as I said, uh, you know, both in last place in their division, but only a game out in, in their respective divisions. But let's talk about these Detroit Lions, because first of all, something happens every year after Hard Knocks airs, right? Usually the team that's featured on Hard Knocks becomes kind of the darling of the league. Right? They highlight the fun personalities, and in this case, there was no lack of those, especially coming from the head coach there and the impression that he made on that show. And and uh, you tend to see, at least I have in my experiences, uh, guys get drafted a little higher in fantasy coming off of hard knocks and things like that because there's some familiarity. This team has been entertaining and interesting through the first three games. Two losses by a combined seven points. And coming off a win last week or a loss last week, similar to what we experienced here in Seattle, that you feel like the Lions missed some opportunities and should have won. For let's start kind of with the big picture view. Where do you feel like the Lions are so far right now as we sit today? And we'll talk some specifics in a minute. Um, specifically, we'll talk about the injury report, but just a general overview of where you think the Lions are three weeks into Dan Campbell's second season. Well, you mentioned hard knocks, and I feel like, you know, going back to the darling status, that almost kind of got started. Uh, I, I, I think that's normally true of hard knocks. For the Lions, it started long a little before that, uh, just because of who Dan Campbell is, and he's divisive. I've heard from plenty of former players in the media who are both fans, some who think it's corny, more fans than people who think it's corny, though, and it's definitely a well. We'll just start right there. It's, it's definitely a complete one hundred and eighty from the guy who was in here before that, Matt mm-hmm. Patricia, who is an, a jack wagon to the <laughs> highest degree. And I am glad that New England is learning just exactly what kind of idiocy jack wagon that man can bring to an organization. But Dan Campbell wasn't just there to just be a one hundred and eighty for the attitude. He installed a lot of former players who became these coaches, who have familiarities with what teams go through that need to grow like the Detroit Lions have. It's a grand experiment that I have been utterly fascinated by. I don't know if it'll work at the end of the day, but it seems to at the very least get people very energetic. 
The other players that get, you know, turned into darlings, though, were also players that people, I, I guess, I... They, they're, they're, they're stars and they should be considered stars. And I know everyone thinks, oh, Detroit, what do you care? It's like, OK, this isn't 2008 anymore. Yeah. And when the Lions beat the Washington Commanders, it, it does psychic damage to teams to still think and fans who still think it's 2008. Guess what? Lions win sometimes. And when they win, you can't lose your mind and then think, you know what? We should hire Scott Frost as our defensive coordinator. Commanders <laughs> fans were thinking that. And I saw a Commanders fan say that. Wow. But guess as those stars like, look. Amon Ross St. Brown is still yeah. a reception machine. If you play PPR fantasy and you have him, congratulations. Yeah, you're pretty happy. DeAndre, DeAndre Swift, while he was healthy through the first game and a half, has been a revelation on the ground game for an element that the Lions have not had since damn near Barry Sanders. I don't even know if Reggie Bush even qualifies. Like mm-hmm. Lions just generally has never had a ground game. To have DeAndre Swift rifling through the field is something very new and very interesting. And this offensive line has long been the strength that the Lions want to establish. So there are keys there that I think that most fans outside of Detroit are still kind of getting used to and trying to not fall into the trap of, again, I was watching another Commanders fan because I enjoy schadenfreude when the Lions beat a team because, as I said, it does <laughs> psychic damage that, you know, I saw them, he, he just kept referring to him on Twitch as like the Stinky Lions. Stinky Lions. And it's like, okay, cool. Guess what? Your team is stinky too. Yeah. Like, like after a point, you, you're you down here in the mud with us. So, yeah, the Lions could be, to the other point, the Lions probably could be 2-1, and one are three and zero. This is the game we always play in the NFL. The woulda, shoulda, coulda. This sure. league has developed itself into this point where every game is 80% of games is going to come down to the last few drives, the last few seconds, just because of how they've been able to legislate parity into the bones of the games itself. Right? Like they, they roared back against the Eagles after being slapped around and fell short. The Vikings game was a little bit different. That was a lot of unforced errors that really, really bit the Lions and got some people rightly upset at Dan Campbell. Like this is a guy who was going for it on fourth down throughout that entire game and suddenly near the end of the game starts to play very conservatively. uh, Tries to kick a 54, 53 yard field goal off the leg of Austin Seibert, who I don't think has made it from that distance before and had already missed one that day. And and in general, was just making some really awful decisions regarding the play clock. And he owned up to it. He, he owned up to it because Dan Campbell owns up to all his mistakes, no loss. But it's a game that sucks because that was well in hand for the Detroit Lions. But that's kind of always been the story for the Troy Lions, even going back to last year. You know, their their record against the spread, if you're a gambling guy, is very good. And the reason why their record against the spread is very good is because they're always in games like this. They're yeah. always they're always in games and they don't always lose those games, even though they lost a lot of them last year. OK, right off the top, let's talk about the injury list, because it's pretty significant. You, a lot of the names you just mentioned are on that list. And, and when yes. we when we talk about the stars of this team, especially on offense, um, with the exception of Tracy Walker being placed on injured reserve, team captain, starting safety with an Achilles, he's out for the year. But a lot of those guys on offense, Swift, uh, Hawkinson, St. Brown, uh, a lot of the receiving core, DJ Chark is banged up. Reynolds might be banged up. Uh, Frank Ragnow. Tell me, uh, a lot of those guys didn't practice, but what's the feeling there about how many of those guys might be able to go on Sunday? 
Well, I think Amon Ross St. Brown is probably going to go. The man is made of nothing. Damn but, it. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say the man is made of nothing but spite and 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 re- resentment for the world as he just plays yeah. hard. So like yeah. he didn't have practice. Yeah. As you say, he didn't have practice on Wednesday. And I think that's something I saw last week with the Lions, where if you get banged up, they're going to give you a practice off. But it sounds like he's the one who's trending in the right direction. Okay. Uh, a lot of the injuries in the offensive line are a little more troubling. I don't know if we'll see Frank Ragnow seeing Jonah Jackson Adding to the list kind of mm-hmm. gives me pause a little bit. He's not even a starter, and yet we seem to be going deeper and deeper into the bench with this offensive line, which was, again, supposed to be the strength of the Detroit yeah. Lions, and yet the interior of this line is getting really banged up, and without Frank Ragnow to really lead them is going to be a problem. Josh Reynolds is the one receiver I'm fairly worried about just because he's the one who really has the rapport with Jer- with quarterback Jared Goff. And Jared Goff likes receivers that he has rapport with. It's what he likes with St. Brown. It's what he likes with Josh Reynolds. It's why DJ Shark, who they just acquired, is still getting to know Jared Goff and hasn't really seen a lot of throws from him. Hmm. because And, you know, he needs to also catch the ones that are thrown to him, too. <laughs> so that that's that's the that's the wide receivers who am I was oh right the big one is probably DeAndre Swift yeah who is banged up in multiple ways now he has an ankle injury and a shoulder injury and to be honest like we saw the Lions almost putting him on a pitch clock during the Vikings I mean a pitch count during the Vikings game Jamal Williams got the lion's share of that no pun intended 20 carries uh, in that game to DeAndre Swift seven. And if Swift can't and look, Swift's not a feature back, but Jamal Williams should not be getting more than double the carries that DeAndre Swift does at the end of the game. If DeAndre Swift is healthy, that's the one element I think that's the one key injury. I feel like more than anything right now, I'm worried about is DeAndre Swift because it just takes away a massive element to the game that the lions le- absolutely leaned on during the Washington and Philadelphia games. Yeah, like lines third. Swift, Swift changes the game for them. It he gives Indeed. them explosive play power that Jamal Williams just. I love Jamal Williams, but he just doesn't have that explosive play power, or the ability to cut to the outside like that. Eight eight and a half yards per carry for Swift so far this season. The Lions are uh, third in the NFL at 170 rushing yards per game. That is of a huge concern to the Seahawks defense and the, and their fans as they've watched uh, that defense get gashed, especially on the ground uh, three weeks into the season. The Lions, and, and this is what you touched on it. This is what's interesting to me about this Lions team is, you know, the figurehead is Dan Campbell and he's this tough, you know, blue collar, former tight end, gruff. You know, I remember that first press conference he had where you talk about, uh, you know, people thinking it's corny. I can't remember exactly what he oh, said. Everyone, everyone it, lo- remembers the last, it, the first yeah, press conference. Kind of caps line and everything. It kind of came yeah. off as contrived. But then when you watch Hard Knocks, it 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 feels like more of just who he is. But that's that's sort of the the perception you have of their offense. But then yet they have all these flashy weapons in Swift and and St. Brown, Jameson Williams hasn't even seen the field yet, and Hawkinson and guys like that. And and uh, it's it's interesting. But then you see them running the football. And, and dominating in that fashion, uh, in addition to these flashy weapons, as a Seahawks fan, someone who covers Seahawks, with the issues we're having on defense, I would think even with the injuries, uh, Lions fans would be feeling pretty good about this offense going up against the Seahawks this week. Well, I think that it all starts with, and I know this is something that I think Seahawks fans can probably relate to as well, it all starts with the offensive line yeah. for Detroit. 
And that's always been what this this coaching staff has preached, that it's offensive line, defensive line. It starts in the trenches. And that sounds completely caveman. But I feel like in our, you know, attempts to rewrite football for the 21st century, for the second decade of the 21st century, that we've almost come around completely back to trenches warfare as the advanced way, the proper way to do things like that's Kyle Shanahan's road to success too that's and that's what the lions invested in when they've you know got panay sewell and they've got taylor decker and they've got frank rag now but that's also what allows them to do all these things with that off offense because it starts right there you you establish the run through your through what the offensive line can give you we've seen guys even even guys like backup you know tackle converted to guard dan skipper who was kind of the star of the washington game he's running in convoy with with DeAndre Swift for his touchdown and throwing up blocks like mm-hmm. this this offensive line makes its presence known and they've gotten better at pass protection too which is good because when you have a quarterback like say Jared Goff who needs everything to really work around him to a good degree it's good to have that because suddenly like you get better pass protection you get better you get a more comfortable quarterback for a guy who is Jared Goff, yeah. <laughs> who I'm, I'm Seahawks fans are familiar with Jared. Very Goff. familiar. Like, I don't. I, he's not his 2020 self. He's not like 2020 isn't exactly who he is, but I don't think yeah. we're ever going to see a Pro Bowl level out of him again. But that's fine. Like the Lions have worked very hard, especially with the new offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, who was a tight ends coach. He tailored this offense specifically knowing that he had that offensive line to really lean on, he tailored it specifically for Jared Goff and Jared Goff can command an offense at different levels of the field. And that's why he has such a plenitude of weapons. And that's why like, there's no just one weapon that you just cover up and take it away from the Detroit lions, because it's hard to do that. You want to take away Josh Reynolds. You want to take away DJ shark. That's fine. I'm Ross St. Brown's still out there and nobody considers the slot receiver. But, you know, start taking away Amara St. Brown and suddenly they've got other things, too. Like it's a it's a multi-headed threat. And uh, yeah, I it's it's definitely their strength right now. It's just a matter of keeping all those pieces healthy. And when does the bow break on that offensive line? I want to ask a question more geared towards the future and then we'll get back to this game uh, specifically. But in regards to Jared Goff, what's what's the general sense? His contract is structured in such a way the Lions can move on after this offseason without a lot of damage to the salary cap. Do you think that's the plan? Are they are they hunting for a quarterback in this in this what looks to be a really strong quarterback draft next year? This is the sort of Damocles that hangs over the head of everyone in Detroit. And uh, I know I just invoked mythology, and I know that's not a great idea considering the current U.S. educational system. It works system. with football. Yeah, yeah. It's it's For those who don't know, it is we are talking about an actual sword hanging over your head that might fall at any given moment. So don't breathe. Don't breathe. Yeah. But it is the question that, that the Detroit Lions are working on right now because – They have a lot of faith in Jared Goff, which should rightly scare a lot of Lions fans. On the other hand, Jared Goff has played. He's played fine. He's played completely fine this year so far. He's played even at the last. He played fine late last year, too, once the Lions 
basically told Anthony Lynn, you cannot run the offense anymore. And Dan mm-hmm. Campbell took over play calling and yeah. Ben Johnson put in the system near the end of that year, especially in the like last four, four games of the season or so. Like you saw a marked improvement in Jared Goff. I don't think that's enough to really stake the future on. But I said before the season on the POD cast that everything right now is perfect for Jared Goff. He's got a great offensive line. He's got a complimentary run game. He's got a lot of good offensive weapons. So there's really no excuse for him to play bad. And even when he had what is on the stat sheet a bad game against the Vikings, I saw a marked improvement out of him on stuff like, say, when pressure was coming, Jared Goff, great example. When when pressure used to come on Jared Goff, he would panic. He would start to, to reel back. And usually at that point, like straight back. Mm-hmm. And usually at that point, pressure would then sack him for a 10-yard loss. And it was brutal. And I wanted to tear what remaining hair I have left out of my head every single damn time. This time, though, I saw him scrambling. I saw him making a very awkward slide, but he would, you know, he would read the field and, you know, know when to tuck and run and not completely wilt under that pressure and learned how to extend the plays. The question is, though, do you want to keep Jared Goff for a long time? I don't know. I, I, I would rather I would prefer not to. Yeah, I think. To the contract question, they're going to get at least one more year out of Jared Goff, Hmm. regardless, because even if you bring in a new quarterback, you're going to want to follow the system that other teams are doing, which is to sit him, to have him, you know, learn the system, sit on the roster, you know, like like they did with Patrick Mahomes or they're doing with Malik Willis or they're doing with Kenny Pickett. That's smart. It's ideal rather than throw like there's no one in this draft. I feel like who is a Trevor Lawrence. You can you, you can just throw to the fire right away. Uh, I don't think the you know, the other problem, too, is like, I don't know if the Lions are going to be in striking distance of some of these guys. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was a big proponent of Anthony Richardson, and then he, I've seen him play a lot of football, and I'm not sure I'm much of a fan of Anthony Richardson anymore. Yeah. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, those guys are fantastic, but name me the quarterbacks from Ohio State and Alabama that have succeeded at the NFL. Like, there's there's a lot of interesting quarterback prospects in this draft. I'm not sure I'm ready. Like, A, the Lions are going to be in a position for it, or B, I it's going to really work out. Drafting a quarterback is so damn hard. Yeah. It's so damn hard. So Jared Goff's a nice fallback plan. I don't know if I like it long term at all, but I think people also forget that Jared Goff is also. Oh, God, I don't even think he's he's 27. He's only 27. Yeah, it's easy to forget how young he was when he was coming out. And uh, it's interesting when you when you talk about how he's been adequate. Right. Um, it, it kind of it made me think, you know, he sort of reminds me of peak Matt Hasselbeck. From his time in Seattle, like I, I used to mm. argue all day long with my dad who thought Matt Hasselbeck sucked and they should move on from any, any given moment. And my argument was always, OK, name the quarterbacks in the league that are better. And he would invariably name 10 to 15 guys. And, I, and my follow up question would be, well, OK, now how are you going to get one of those guys that Matt Hasselbeck was good enough to win with the pieces around him when they were operating effectively? Um yeah, I mean, there's this perception here in Seattle that Jared Goff stinks. He's terrible. It's because we've we'd had the opportunity to take him take advantage of some of his weaknesses during his time here. Um, but he seems to be playing well, and that offense seems to be operating efficient efficiently. And I wanted to ask the question because there's certainly some needs on defense 
in Detroit as well. Um, <laughs> yes. The number two is. overall pick in the draft last year, Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end out of Michigan. Uh, three sacks on the season, all happening in the first half of, was it the Commanders game? Um, yes, yes, against, yeah, he got three sacks in the first half against Washington. Yeah, but, but lots of issues on that side of the ball. Giving up 31 points a game, that's dead last in the league. 28th in yards allowed, uh, and they're very consistent. 25th in the league against the pass, 27th against the run. Um, and now you lose Tracy Walker. Are we looking at a shootout here on Sunday? Uh, I think that's going to be dependent upon how deep the Seahawks go. And I, I think it's dependent on several other things too. Um, I'll start with Aiden Hutchinson though, who I, I enjoyed watching him in the commanders game. And I think I've been kind of critical of Aiden Hutchinson, but I also understand he's a rookie and rookie, especially at defensive end, especially the way Aiden Hutchinson plays, he gets very aggressive. And so there's been a lot of times, especially in the Philadelphia game where you'd see him in the backfield and he would get just be trying to get after Jalen Hurts. But A, Jalen Hurts is mobile, right? very mobile. And B, just Aiden Hutchinson's aggression causes him to overshoot sometimes. Hmm. I think eventually that that's a rookie problem. That's not a that's not a Aiden Hutchinson problem. That's a rookie problem. That's getting used to the NFL. And I think yeah. Aiden Hutchinson can, can eventually do that. And he's got someone like Charles Harris, you know, who off, often operates off the opposite edge and both of them together worked out very well in applying pressure. Now, obviously they didn't really get to Kirk Cousins too much uh, in the Minnesota game, but they still applied plenty of pressure. It's just a matter of making sure Aiden continues to grow. Um, If there's going to be anything that's going to stop a particular shootout, it's going to be based on not as much there, but the defensive backs. You mentioned Tracy Walker is out that hurts them that hurts the lions for a lot of different reasons mostly because their depth in dbs is just not good you're kind of leaning on a money or warrior uh who should be your best cornerback but for whatever reason he pulled like five of the lions seven penalties against mm. the minnesota vikings and wow. it's worrying i hope that's just a blip but or warrior yeah. is you know he, he's a great he's a great corner. Uh, Walker Walker's a safety. I don't know what you really do at safety other than just play Will Harris and some of the depth and pray. I think the name to keep at, to keep an eye out for is Jeff Okuda, who was Lions, I believe, fourth overall yeah. draft pick from from a few years from years back. Who I, I'm a third, excuse me. And I, what people need to know about him is he's not jumping off the stat sheets because he's not getting a bunch of interceptions. But Jeff Okuda, for through his first three games, shut down Devonta Smith. He shut down Tracy McLaurin until he had to come out of the game with some cramping. He shut down Justin Jefferson last week to the tune of Jefferson, I think, only had three receptions on six targets and 14 yards. Like Jeff Okuda, this was a guy who suffered an Achilles injury Last year, people thought he was done or they'd have to convert him to safety and he didn't play well his his rookie year under Matt Patricia because Matt Patricia's an idiot and doesn't know where to play cornerbacks at all for any reason. And and Jeff Okuda is also a rookie, but you yeah. know people want to throw him under the bus. But Jeff Okuda has, my point is that Jeff Okuda 
And the Lions don't shadow people, but if you're on the side of the ball with Jeff Okuda, he's going to make your life a lot miserable. So I think that's the one thing on their defense that's going to be working to their favor. That was overall, though. Overall, though, it's a matter of like the the things that have made it hard for the Lions is, is two different things on those shootouts. One, Kirk Cousins throws very well, mm-hmm. um, especially in that in that in that time slot. That one p.m. Eastern time slot's a very weird time for him. He just seems to work well the other thing too is like we were learning that Jalen Hurts is incredibly good this year yep. so I don't know if the if Geno Smith and I love Geno Smith's little dialogue uh at the end of his first game but I don't right. know if Geno Smith measures up to these other quarterbacks and the, the Lions are going to bring pressure on the quarterback and take away your best weapon and that's the matter of if you can overcome those then yeah it'll be high scoring well, it was interesting, um, and, and I was going to ask you uh, about the scheme there, whether or not they do, whether Okuda would travel uh, with DK Metcalf. Uh, I don't know if you saw this uh, yesterday, but DK was asked about Okuda and uh, might have provided a little bit of bulletin board material, was asked about how, how well he's played and about specifically how he played against Justin Jefferson and uh, whether he's concerned about that. And DK basically said, well, he's got safety help. It's not like he's shutting guys down by himself. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that matchup, certainly on Sunday, uh, with Okuda going up against DK Metcalf. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, he, there, there were times where Jefferson would get doubled with some safety yeah. help, but guess what? That's Justin Jefferson. And right. I think, I, I think the actual count for the double teams was a lot less than people are, are because we, we feel that question too, because we saw people who said that about in Detroit about Okuda is like, isn't Jefferson getting doubled? It's like, yes, but less than you think. Okuda was out there alone with him sometime. Like Okuda's, yeah, it's 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 Okuda. I think, yeah, yeah. Okuda's good is my point, and like hopefully he continues to be good. He's a good story to root for, especially since a lot of people read him off way too quickly. It'll be interesting to see if if uh, Smith and the Seahawks offense attacks him at all because uh, what we've seen from the Seahawks offense through the first three weeks is lots of three tight end set, and that's kind of been the foundation of their passing game, and they're using all three of them and. And so, you know, your, your nickel guys and your linebackers are going to have to get out and cover. And, uh, but, but Smith hasn't been shy about feeding the ball to Metcalf even when he is covered. So that, that might be the most fun matchup to watch. If DeAndre Swift is unable to go, are we looking at just a heavy dose of Jamal Williams or is, or is, uh, uh, is there some other depth there? I think they would probably lean a little more in the passing game, but yeah, it's just, I, I think at that point, it's just Jamal Williams and there's nothing wrong with Jamal Williams. The man runs hard like a beast. I've had him on our, we've had him on our podcast a couple times. The man is a, uh, is a gem, like always insanely positive, a massive anime fan. Uh, he promised me he would do a Ginyu squad pose at some point. <laughs> okay. And uh, he has not done that. Unfortunately, he got his touchdown against the Vikings and didn't do that, but Hopefully one of these days I'll get that or like some JoJo's Bizarre Adventure or something. But and he's a he's he's a he's a gem. Wasn't he the one in, in I think it was the first episode of Hard Knocks where he gave that impassioned like the the big speech at the end of practice. and He was crying. Wasn't that Jamal Williams? Yes, it was. And the funny thing is, so we interviewed him back in 2020 when he had just come in from Green Bay and he was that way. And I had not seen that element of Jamal Williams yeah. before than what I was on Hard Knocks. And you could tell that I think he took that year where the Lions went 313 and one very hard. It, it went it went hard. He he would always preach. He preached us in 2020 before the season about 
positive, uh, positive competition is how he like was his turn of phrase. He liked he liked this idea where it's like I'm going out there and I'm going to try to beat you with a smile on my face. That was a different side of Jamal Williams, and yeah. I think it it helps it helps his aggression quite well. But yeah, no, they'll probably just. They'll, they'll, they'll feed Jamal because they want this. They, they need the play action to work. They need the they need the ground game to work. It complements things. Nobody wants to go back to the days of well, people want to go back to the days of Matt Stafford, but they don't want to go back to the days where Matt Stafford was throwing like, you know, what, 50, 60 times a game or whatever it was yeah. like. It, it's nice to have. A, it's nice to establish the run, as we like to say. I'm glad you brought that name up. I wanted to get your take. Uh, I just was looking at this note because I had completely forgotten about this. But in case Seahawks fans have forgotten, the last time the Seahawks and Lions played was just a few months ago. And it was Russell Wilson's last regular season game as a Seattle Seahawk. Uh, it was in Seattle. Uh, Russell throws for 236 yards and four touchdowns. Rashad Penny ran for 170 yards and two scores. Uh, it was a 51 to 29 win. The Seahawks hold the edge overall uh, 11 and five in just their 16 or 15 meetings uh, since 1976. But as we're dealing with life after Russell Wilson here, potential future Hall of Fame quarterback moving on, although the, the story's a little different. It was, this was by his his design. Detroit had to deal with that last year, watching watching the ex-girlfriend leave and go somewhere else. And uh, he ends up going and winning a Super Bowl. What did that feel like for Detroit Lions fans watching all that unfold? Well, Detroit Lions fans are a very diverse group, let's say, in their opinions. And I think half the reason we have a podcast is because we offered a side of the Detroit Lions that was a lot more... Uh, having fun, having fun with the football, but also at the same time, not giving in to just massive, overwhelming pessimism that was going around at the time in Detroit that we allowed ourselves this this element and it's why we exist. But I, I think, again, that speaks to the fact that everyone has opinions about Stafford and those things are not one to one. I will speak for myself. I will speak for those who I have worked with and know as fans, a lot of the people I know and have been with were happy. We're happy for Stafford because Lions have, I mean, Detroit fans have seen several Detroit sports figures have to move on to win. And you want to see your guys win at the end of the day, be it Justin Verlander or Matthew Stafford. Like Stafford defined an entire era of Detroit Lions football and yeah. was responsible for pulling them out of the quicksand that was the Matt Millen years and the 2008 years and everything like he was he's he's also the best quarterback the Lions have ever seen period and he said mm-hmm. nothing but nice things to say about the Detroit Lions he didn't exactly leave this place and just start stomping on Detroit or it wasn't a messy breakup where he's throwing the offensive line under the bus on a, on the Dan Patrick show or anything. He's, <laughs> he's never had a, a bad thing to say yeah. about the Detroit lions and the Detroit lions for their part got, you know, a good deal back on the trade for Matthew Stafford. So I think most people like it wasn't a messy breakup. So I think most people in Detroit were happy for Stafford. Now they would be happy if he doesn't, you know, do so well this year just because the draft pick will get a lot better. But at the same time, nobody, I think roots against Stafford. Like there's nothing in Stafford's repertoire that makes you root against the man. And like, I'm sure there's some, 
there's some Detroit fans who would call that soft. And, you know, I saw that back when Verlander moved on to the Astros, where there was some free press columnist who was like, this is why Tigers fans are soft. They're rooting for Justin Verlander to win a World Series. And it's like, right. go shove it up your up, up, <laughs> up your cumulus. Like, holy <laughs> God, just shut up. Like, sports are supposed to be there to have fun. And here we are just picking at fans like I don't know like now that said I do know some fans who are like you know who cares you know he's not a lion anymore why are you guys watching the Super Bowl which again fair fair but if you want to consume your sports like that I will find you a joyless little chud but you know hey to all power to you and you're always gonna have that I mean fans fall in love with the name on the back of the jersey there's still fans here who think the Seahawks Screwed up by trading Russell, worst trade ever. They still think he walks on water, kind of like he does himself. And um, it, it's been it's been interesting. So to see, you know, I, I wanted to get your perspective on that because now you're a year and a half after it and, and kind of see how the dust settles. And anytime there is a breakup like that, you get the two converging storylines and you get, you know, what, it, what are the yeah, lines? What, what are the lines going to do with those draft picks? How are they going to rebuild themselves? And also you want to see, you know, how your ex-player goes on and, and, uh, and what happens there. The staff yeah, was always I, a likable guy, even from the outside looking in. I always liked watching the dude play. Yeah, I think I, well, I, I like him a lot more too, because they're really leaning into his dopey voice with this new little Caesars commercial too, <laughs> right. with the pizza pizza, which is a Detroit. I mean, little Caesars is a Detroit company too. Yeah. Um, the family owned and the Illich family happens to own two of the four professional sports teams in Detroit as well. The Tigers and the Red Wings. I wish they wouldn't for the Tigers, but yeah. you know, that's, that's another story. Uh, the, yeah, Stafford, like, it's it's I, I think that it was understandable from all sides because like the tiger, the Lions, excuse me, were going on to their third head coach, fourth head coach, excuse me, that Stafford would have had to be under. That means even more offensive coordinators. I can't even count them at this point. Let's see. Yeah. Scott Linehan, Mike Lombardi, uh, Jim Bob Cooter, uh, whoever. I think he's I'm missing someone who used to be a Seattle guy who's down. Daryl Bevel Jackson. Daryl Bevel, yeah. yes, interim head coach Daryl yeah. Bevel, offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel. Like my point is that Stafford was, you know, from reportedly very tired of just the turnover, which was warranted. But I mean, look, the Lions had their shot when they got rid of Jim Caldwell to have the coach take them to that height with the talent they had, including yeah. Stafford at the time. And they went and chose Matt Patricia at the urging of very smart people. And maybe at the time, Matt Patricia on paper was the correct coaching hire. I still didn't like it at the time, even before the reports came out that he had allegedly been indicted by a grand jury in Texas for a a sexual assault back in the 90s that was swiftly buried, but was reported in the Detroit News that apparently the Lions didn't know about. And then he just proceeds to just completely like, I, I swear to God, I hate, I'm sorry. I keep using this podcast. I keep going back to, to Matt Patricia. The man tears me up. And I love, and I love that there are still players like Quandre Diggs and Darius Slay who still go out there. I've never seen players who are currently on NFL rosters taking dumps on a, on a, on a co- on someone who is currently coaching in the league. Usually people are very buttoned up about their professional, about their professionalism like that. There's yeah. no such reservation when it comes to Matt Patricia. Well, Seahawks, but, um, uh, Patricia, but the Patricia errors just represent, and this is part of why Stafford had to leave is it was a lost. It, it was basically all the potential of that era was lost. So you had to blow it up from ground zero. Yeah. And for Stafford, he's at that age where he wanted to win a Super Bowl. 
So we went to LA and won a Super Bowl. Well, it, it does look like the Lions are, are on their way to some cool things. I think they're the most, uh, as I said earlier, that offense, especially if everyone's healthy, is uh, one of the most dynamic and fun offenses uh, to watch in the league, I think. And uh, a lot of cool young stars, and it'll be interesting to see. Whole, I, as a football fan, I hope, I hope those guys play on Sunday. Um, because I want to, I want to see that offense. I want to see it operate. I like watching young stars. I can't wait to see Jamison Williams when he's healthy and, and see what he can do in that offense as well, alongside St. Brown and with a healthy Deandre Swift. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of weapons there. And with that offensive line, it's, it feels like they are building something that will be conducive to incorporating a young quarterback into in the future, whenever that guy is acquired and whenever it's time to turn that over to him, but or or someone potentially through free agency sure. at this point too, because yeah. some quarterbacks are on the move, and I'm not going to sit here and gas myself more up lately than ever. That, Absolutely, that used to be something to, that I'm never happened. I'm not going happened. to sit here and start to like gas myself up and slam myself in the head until I believe Lamar Jackson right. will come to Detroit. But I'm just saying it is a potential, and there is a multiverse theory that says that at some universe Lamar Jackson will be a Detroit Lion. But I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend like we have the particular seed for that. The one yeah. thing I think that will make this game exciting is it's still early in the season. The Lions have been competitive in all, the, in all those games, which means that. And I know Seattle Seahawks fans pride themselves in the noise at Lumen Field. And I appreciate that noise, especially when I was watching on um, was it Monday Night Football to start the year. Yeah, with, with yeah. Dennis, it was Monday night. Like, that was the that loudest was crowd in a long time. That, that was a very loud crowd. Yeah. I, I, I say this with due respect and, and reverence to the Seattle Seahawks fans who believe their their place to be one of the loudest places. Ford Field is really loud, too, when Lions fans really get into mm. it. Now, it's a fickle crowd sometimes. Sure. It, they can they can bring out the Bronx cheers if things go bad very, very quickly. But that dome is enclosed. I've been in it and I've I've seen when it rocks and rolls like it gets very, very loud. It's stimmy the commanders a few times more than a few times on delays of game just because it can like it's that that crowd when they are energetic and I'm pretty sure it's might be another sellout. I could be wrong, hmm. but they like I don't know. I had I, I went on uh, Philadelphia radio the, the first week and I was assured by by the host there that the Eagles fans were going to take it over. And that did not happen. Yeah, that did not happen. Lions fans, especially when they have something to cheer for show up very well. So I think that'll make this game exciting too, because it's uh it's energetic crowd brings Detroit another level at, at Ford field. Well, from our perspective, it's just another week of just rolling out, rolling out of bed for a 10 AM start and seeing, seeing what happens <laughs> because we just don't know, you know, after years and years of knowing pretty much exactly what you were going to get uh, from Russell Wilson and that Seahawks offense. We have no idea. We have no idea on defense. Pete Carroll's supposed to be a defensive coach and has proven that over his tenure here. Uh, that defense is getting gashed. He's promising big changes this week. There's talk that they might uh, tweak some of the elements of the, of the new scheme, um, that there will be some personnel changes. You know, and, and even though Geno Smith played really well last week, the offense was effective. You don't know a guy like that that's been in the league that long with that kind of track record and that kind of inconsistency. We don't know what he's going to bring. This could be a really entertaining game. I know the Lions are favored at home in this one. Uh, I could also see this being, uh, even with the injuries, I could see the Lions really kind of taking control of this one from start to finish. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think the Lions and the Seahawks are kind of mirror images of themselves right now. 
that both once upon a time had these, you know, they're both saying goodbye very recently to Mm -hmm. generation defining quarterbacks who, and, you know, Seattle rode that to a, to a Super Bowl very well, along with a very incredible defense. And one of the best, my, one of my favorite beatdowns I've ever seen in a Super Bowl. Usually when you say beat down the Super Bowl, I don't really care for it, but I like watching Peyton Manning get turned into, into, (laughs) into uh, a little piece of, of, paced on the road with some with a roller with a road roller like I just I just enjoy that I I I do he's got that face but at the same time like yeah I I don't know if how much this is a quote-unquote rebuild just because Pete Carroll seems to be a a uh, a strange beast and I'm a USC I'm a USC guy so I understand that Pete Carroll has his in eccentricities he's Mm -hmm. he's a he's a different breed he's one of the you know as the good doctor would say one of god's own prototypes too rare to live too rare to too too weird to die and at the same time like i i i think logically the the seahawks are heading towards the same sort of rebuild the lions are where it's like you've got good pieces around here you see the foundations of what your future could be, yeah. but you're going to need someone to steer that at some point with a new quarterback and improved pieces on defense. And just, yeah, I think, I think that game, this game's fascinating in that regard. I like it when teams who have kind of the same trials and tribulations play each other because that's yeah. when it, it, that's when it gets interesting. That's, that's when, that's when the real struggle begins and I enjoy struggle. Well, and I felt that way against the Falcons last week too. I thought they were two teams kind of in, going in the same direction. Great, and, yeah, and, another great team. Like and that, yeah. and I've been saying, you know, for most of this season, it, now more than ever, we've, we've thrown the word parody around for years, but I think now we're seeing it in the league more than ever where there just aren't, I don't think you're going to, well, certainly not this year, maybe never again. You're not going to see Owen 17. You're every roster in this league has talent on it. And it's not so much about how good you are. We saw that with the Buffalo bills last week. It's not about how good you are. It's about how well you play. And on a week in week out basis, it has more to do with matchup and just how well you show up and execute that day. And it's a mystery. I'm terrible at pay. I play a pool every week where I sign confidence points to the games based on, you know, how confident I am in certain, I'm terrible at it. I'm absolutely terrible at it because from one week to the next teams get better. Teams get worse. Teams make good, good game plan decisions and bad game plan decisions or good clock management decisions and bad ones. Um, it's sometimes the matchup is all that kills you too. Right. Just, absolutely. Just sometimes, just sometimes it's scheme and everything else. Like it can be one matchup. It could be one side of the offensive line against that particular part of the, of a front seven. It's, it's uh, to me, it's what makes it enjoyable and fun because it's just, uh, I think, I think a lack of parity is boring. I think dominance is boring. I think, um, uh, you know, yeah, listen, um, nobody wants Alabama. Nobody no. wants Alabama in this sport. It just like uh, college football is its own meme, its own virus and that it demands perfection every week. And that's fun. Yeah. I enjoy college football for what it is. But I enjoy the NFL more because of exactly that. I just wish yeah. someone would, you know, get that memo to some of the other talking heads out there and tell Colin Cowherd to stop picking like the Ravens to go sixteen and zero or picking the Bills to go yeah. seventeen. And just when we thought the Bills were going to steamroll everybody, they lose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they lose to the Dolphins, who are right. the only undefeated. And by the way, this I I think this year. It has not been since the 70s where we've had only one undefeated, uh, excuse me, two, only two 3-0 and teams to start the year. And that was the year of the unbeaten Miami Dolphins. 
but we're still going back about what 60 year uh 50 60 years yeah. into the history books to get to this level as far as this kind of start like it it just happens i i, I think everyone love again I know this is a Detroit Lions fan. Every week playing any team, there is a set of fans of every fan base in the NFL. It doesn't matter if they're the Browns, the Bengals, the Patriots, the Commanders. They see the Detroit Lions on the schedule and they assume automatic W. Sure. Why? Because it's it's like with same kind of the deal with Jared Goff. People remember the lowest better than the highest. And for Jared Goff, that was 2020. For the Detroit Lions, it was 2008. Everyone thinks it's still 2008, right. 14 years ago for the Detroit Lions. It's not. And when the Lions do beat teams, it creates psychic damage. But the league doesn't want teams like the Detroit Lions or the Jacksonville Jaguars to be down forever. And I think they like it when there's yeah when you look at this schedule and see hey there's a lot of two and one and one and two and uh one one and one like with the Colts which god I don't like the Colts but uh <laughs> but yeah it's like even even the vaunted NFC West that everyone I mean AFC West that everyone would have thought right. has like two two and one teams but also has an O and three like they like that there is this much no white noise and fuzz around it because it means going into every game, you don't know who's going to win. You can't just pencil yeah. it in and just call it a clap your hands and call it a day. And that makes for good football because at the end of the day, everyone feels like they get a chance. They get a shot. And yeah. I think that that ultimately makes the professional game interesting. It does. I mean, we're seeing it here in the NFC West. Everybody thought, you know, the Seahawks were going to be far and away the worst team in the league doing what they're doing right now, personnel wise. Um, but yet, you know, San Francisco 49ers lose their starting quarterback. They've struggled, you know, uh, by the, the way, the Rams are two, the Rams are two and one. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> the Rams finally, Dano someone took, came Dano along, took a victory lap. Someone, after that, yeah, after that came along. Oh, he's the happiest guy in the league last week. It last, somebody came along and took some of that off of, off of his plate. Um, and I, I love Orlovsky's breakdowns anyway, but, uh, but no, nobody thinks the, the LA Rams are going to run away and crush the NFC West now. It's only a game. Any team, the Detroit Lions, do they feel like competing in that division is out of the question if they put things together? Like, do they? I'm do, sorry. Do the, do the Green Bay Packers seem insurmountable? Uh, no, they don't seem insurmountable. I don't think the Detroit Lions are getting up to the top of the NFC North. It would take a very quick turnaround and a lot of injuries healing. Um, however, the NFC North at this point, like... I feel like it's either the Packers or the Vikings. I think it's like it's the Vikings to like I think it's the Vikings to really who have really stamped themselves because that's a good offense. That that that's like a really, really good offense. The Packers, I thought I, I hadn't thought that it's too it's too bad for the Packers. And to be honest, um I'm still not terribly worried about them. I don't think losing Devontae Adams hurts them as much as people think. I think, you know, he I think if, if anything else, it's their lack of run game right now, success-wise, that has kind of hurt them more than Aaron Rodgers not having Devontae Adams. Uh, I will say, two, at 2-1, two and one, the Bears are the most Fugazi team I've ever seen, period. Yeah. Like that, that, Justin Fields is running for his life every game, and I don't understand how they picked up uh, two wins. Like it, 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 that, that first game against the 49ers in the rain feels just insane. Yeah, that was and just I ugly. Guess, I guess you get I guess you get to pick up a win over a Lovey Smith team when he kind of outfoxes you to to go for the dub. I mean for the L like that. But I don't expect the Bears to really be in contention. And like the Lions, I'd love to say they're NFC North contenders. Maybe we'll see as the as the season progresses. Because again, Dan Campbell does not 
really accept this idea that this team is rebuilding and they will fight hard as hell because right. that's that's basically a sales pitch to any player who wants to come play in Detroit is go out there and play hard as hell. And he gets it in guys like DeAndre Swift, who running backs coach, assistant coach Deuce Staley has been all up in his face this entire offseason, getting him to like, hey, don't cut outside, go back inside, don't run out of bounds, like keep pushing for those extra yards, even if it's going to hurt a little bit. And Swift took that to heart because Swift is a Philly boy at the end of the day. And or guys like Amon Ra St. Brown, who is literally giving you Diami Brown's stat line because Diami Brown went before him in the draft just because Amon Ra St. Brown has no damn chill whatsoever. No chill whatsoever. I love him for it. I've loved him since USC. And the man just is is a no stop, won't stop. And yeah. Yeah, this entire offensive line, Panesul, like plays with aggression. Aiden Hutchinson plays with aggression, yeah. but it's it's a team in his image. It's not. I don't think it's a complete image yet. But I, as I tell fans, these things take times. Take time. It takes time to get good players. It takes time to put things back together. It took the Bengals three years, and I think they were ahead of schedule when they went to the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, like, I I think that these things take time for the lions and you kind of expect them to just compete and fight hard in a lot of these games, but I'm not expecting the sky right now. I'm certainly not expecting the NFC North. I can't tell lions haven't won the lions didn't even win the NFC North when Matthew Stafford was here. Yeah. Like it's just, it's, it's been a minute. Just, well, I I think the lions can get there, but uh, right now I'm not ready to prognosticate. Well, it could be an entertaining game, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Sunday. Um, Chris, thanks for joining me, man. It was great talking to you and uh, getting an inside look at what's going on there with the Lions. And uh, and uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Absolutely. Our lovely, uh, I, I'm, I, I know you and I are both West Coast people and we will enjoy getting up early. Um, I work overnights the, 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 the night prior too. So getting up yeah. early for Sunday is always a chore, but it's football, damn it. And I don't have many of these, so I will enjoy everything I can. And I am more than willing to come back anytime to talk about this bizarre team that I've staked my entire life around. It has unfortunately <laughs> infected half my family into watching too. He is Chris Perfett. That's uh, C-H-R-I-S-P-E-R-F-E-T-T on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him there. Check out his podcast content. I am Dan Viennes. Uh, at Seahawks Forever on Twitter. Uh, I'll be back with you after the game on Sunday for my instant reaction. Until then, thanks again, Chris. Go Hawks. We'll see you next time.